All right. Well, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And if you're just joining us, let me give us a little bit of a recap since we took last week off. Uh, we have been working sequentially through this book. The first half or more of the book was really a lot of huge truths that the Apostle Paul was laying out to counter the heresies of the diminished Christ that was being offered to his flock. And so he is telling them time after time after time, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. He offers you true fullness in all the spheres of life. But of course, these heretics came along and they said, no, he doesn't. You basically need Jesus plus this and this and this and this and have, to have a good, full relationship with God. So the first part of the book, Paul spent countering that nonsense. And now in the second half of the book, he is applying the fullness that is offered to us in Jesus to all different areas of life. And today he is focusing on the home. And we actually see that this passage goes from, uh, from here all the way down to chapter 4, verse 1, but because of the nature of this passage and all that we have to talk about, I'm only going to focus on the first two verses, and then we'll do the next section next week and so on and so forth. But let me go ahead and read it for us, and then I want to spend some time unpacking the historical context here, and then we'll spend some good time applying this passage and, of course, get us to the Lord Jesus. So the Word says this, "'Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord.'" Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And the first thing that we need to lay hold of here is that this passage, even though it may seem strange to some of our modern sensibilities, would have been radically elevating in its original context. In fact, one commentator says it like this. He says, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband, just as much as his house or his flocks or his material goods were. She had no legal right whatsoever. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his life for any cause. A wife had no rights, whatever, in the initiation of the divorce. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go marketing or shopping. She lived in the women's apartments. She did not join her menfolk even for meals. From there was demanded of her a complete servitude and chastity. But her husband could go out and do as much as he chose. He could enter into as many relationships outside of marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. Both under Jewish and Greek laws and customs, all the privileges belong to the husband and all the duties to the wife. And here comes the Apostle Paul and offers this radically elevating idea of directives to both wives and husbands that are grounded in the Lord Jesus. And this sets them apart from everything else around them. The fact that they were addressed equally, the fact that they were addressed both having duties, and the fact that they were addressed in the Lord shows that Jesus loves men and women equally, that the ground is level at the cross. And even though we do play different roles, our role as children of God is 100% equal. 
And when we think about this, at this time, when we say, this seems strange in our modern day, we do, do need to hear it in the way that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, intended it. Now, let's also be clear, and F.F. Bruce is a help to us here, that Paul does hold that there is a divinely instituted hierarchy in the order of creation, and in this order, the place of the wife comes next after her husband. But the Preach the Word commentary is a big help to us here. It's always a big help in my study. And it helps us understand that this hierarchy does not in any way make women naturally or spiritually inferior to the husband or vice versa. In fact, there's a hierarchy within the Holy Trinity, yet there is equality. Orthodoxy teaches that the Son is simultaneously equal to the Father and yet submissive to Him. And so likewise, equality and submissiveness can coexist in human relationships as it does in the marriage relationship. And we need to make sure we understand this because, again, this may seem odd to some of us. But when we understand it in its historical, grammatical, scriptural context, you see that it makes good sense. And you see that it is a path to experiencing the type of fullness that God wants for us in Christ in the home. And so the way I'm going to unpack this for us today, Andrew and I were joking about this before the service, my points are exactly Paul's points, okay? And we're going to address the women first, and then we're going to talk about how women can do what Paul is saying here, and we'll talk to husbands and wives and, and how we play a part together in that. And then we're going to talk to the husbands, and we'll do the exact same thing, talk about how to apply that and how we can partner together in that. And I think it will be a help to all of us. So look at verse 18 again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So that is the first point. And that verb there literally means to willingly put oneself under. And I like what Wayne Grudem and John Piper have to say about this in their uh, small book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. Now, what does that look like in real life? Well, I like what Danny Aiken has to say about this, that submission is more of an attitude than an action. And one of the most concrete ways that I've heard this explained that was helpful to me and Laurieann and uh, over the years is that of a dance. And it's the picture of a husband leading in this dance. The wife is following, but they are dancing together. And I don't know if you guys uh, spend any time watching Seinfeld, but there is a, uh, an example where Elaine dances alone. Anybody remember that episode? She was at an office party. It did not go well. Uh, I will not play that clip this morning for all of our sake. But there is bad dancing and there is better dancing, right? And so when we are experiencing the fullness of Christ within the home, it looks a lot more like this and a lot less like Elaine. And so we need to be about this together. This is a teamwork. This is a couple's dance. Now, let me say just a little bit about the scope and nature of submission. It is important to understand that it is focused and limited to the unique relationship between husbands 
and wives. So look back in your text there. Wives, submit to your husbands. So this does not mean that all women are uh, required to submit to all men in the, in the same way. Uh, this doesn't say anything about how the office should be organized, for example, or so on. Uh, and one way, I think, to kind of understand this is there should be as much appropriate submission as, a relation, uh, as the relationship calls for. Because we're all called to submit to, to our pastors. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says that. To our employers, Colossians 3.20, we'll see that in just a couple of weeks. And so this might raise a few questions to a few people as far as like, okay, well, I'm a single lady, I'm, I'm dating this guy, I'm, I'm hoping to get engaged to this guy, so on and so forth. Uh, what, what does it look like in that circumstance? Well, the way that I've kind of come to, to help people with that is to say the seeds of submission should be present, but clearly if you're not married to him... Well, it's a little bit apples and oranges. But if you're a single lady on this path, you need to be thinking, is this a guy that I would want to follow for the rest of my life? Is this a guy that I'm growing in my trust in, and I think that he could lead me and our subsequent children and so on and so forth as life progresses? Those are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. There may be another question that pops up here. Okay, if I'm a Christian lady and I'm in a marriage and this is what the Word says, what do I do if my husband is an unbeliever? Well, we talked about that when we preached through 1 Peter. That should be available online. Uh, but 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 talks about that and talks about how what a witness it is for the gospel when a wife follows her husband appropriately. But here's the thing. That word appropriately really matters. Because if you recall, where, what is the context? What is the sphere for this submission to occur? It is in the Lord, okay? So a wife's ultimate responsibility is to the leadership of Jesus far more than her husband. So that puts a natural governor and limit upon the bounds of submission. So uh, I think the, the best way to understand this is Wives, don't follow your husbands if he's trying to lead you to do something illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. Illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. And so that means practically, let's say the husband comes to you and says, hey, you know, we're, we're a little short this month. I got this idea. We're going to go rob the first national downtown, and the Bible says submit, so I need you to drive the getaway van, right? No, that's dumb. That's worse than Elaine's dancing. You don't want to do that because there's a limit here that comes from the context and the scope and the sphere being in the Lord. Now, that being said, how do I help you as wives move in this direction? Well, the first thing that I can give you practically here, I think, just comes from the text, and that is to trust the authority of God's Word, it's the authority of God's Word. This is not my idea. This is not your husband's idea. This is not the patriarchy's idea from the last few hundred years. This is simple, Christian, easy reading of the text. This is what it says. And so my encouragement to you would be to see that this command flows from the good character of God. That in this dance that is called marriage, there has to be an order. There has to be a pattern. There's got to be a leader. And so this is the way that God has ordered for this to be. 
And when it's done right, and when the husband leads well, and trust me, I'm going to have plenty to say to him in just a moment, it goes better. We experience a greater sense of the fullness of Christ in that marriage. So, number one, trust the authority of God's word that ultimately flows from God's character. Number two, be aware of your own experiential and cultural baggage in this area. And there's not a person in this room that has probably not got a story or seen somebody, a relative somewhere in the distance, where this may have been abused and misused. And there was some guy that was just blatantly abusive to this woman. And maybe or maybe not, the Bible got blamed in the process. But it's kind of like anything else in life. Just because that was a bad actor doesn't mean that this is a bad plan. And we've got to be mindful of that as we think about how to live this out. Next thing I would say is to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to help you in this area and in all areas. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I picked it up, then David picked it up. The language that Paul uses in Colossians, he uses it repeatedly. This put off, put on. <coughs> the whole thing that he's talking about there, the, the imagery that we both used, was that about putting off dirty clothes and putting on new clothes. And part of the new clothes for women to walk out in, and again, we'll see this with the men here in just a second. And actually, I think in many ways, the burden is, is quite heavy on, well, it's, it's heavy on both, but it's really heavy on guys of, like, you're charged with so much responsibility. Part of putting on the new clothes for the women is to, to follow uh, the husband. And again, I think one way to think about this from a gospel standpoint is, when you're following your husband within the appropriate bounds that the scriptures lay out, you are following Jesus. You are seeking to have order, and you're seeking to have fullness of Christ in your home. And that's what we want. We want to walk out what God has worked in in our lives. And finally, last thing I would say, be prepared for this to be a work in progress for both you and your husband. This is a dance. It's not a single little time turn around the dance floor. This is a lifelong thing of sometimes it's going to go well, and sometimes it's not going to go well, and there's going to need to be forgiveness and repentance on both sides of the equation, and we want to make sure that we keep dancing in the right direction. Now, let me speak directly to the husbands of how you can help your wife walk in these new clothes. The first thing that I would say is to recognize that we need to be the kind of leader that makes this easy for our wives. Part of our job as husbands is to cultivate a home in which submission is not a big deal, that following is not a big deal, because we become so much like Jesus and so trustworthy and are always asking, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And that there's such a culture about this that the, even the hint of domineering, unhelpful leadership that would have been like what they would have seen outside of the church, that it wouldn't even be present. So I would say, if we're going to do what we see here in verse 19, which we'll unpack in just a moment, if we're doing that... Eight, nine times out of ten, 
Verse 18 is probably not going to be that big of an issue. Now, I have seen a few exceptions in my you know, couple decades plus of pastoral ministry, but generally speaking, if there's a verse 18 problem, it's because there's a verse 19 problem. And so I think if we as men seek to follow Jesus and repent when we don't and seek to be humble and wise and charitable and create a culture where verse 18 is an easy reality, verse 18 is not a problem. So that being said, let's transition to verse 19. And what he says there is, is point number two. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, this one doesn't seem strange in our modern context because that's what you want, right? Like even the world would say, you know, love these people. Don't, don't, don't fight. Don't be mean. But again, if you think back to the context that they would have been walking in, what would have been breathed in as their oxygen in the first century, even this was radical. To tell a husband to love his wife was to say there's an entirely different way of doing relationships. Remember, women were property. They were treated like cattle. It was a horrible situation. And here he comes along and he offers this entirely better way, this fullness in Christ. And what's interesting also is this command doesn't appear anywhere in any of the extra-biblical household rules of the day. And furthermore, the specific word that he's using here, it's not erotic love, as some might expect. It's not friendship love, but it's agape love which involves unceasing care and loving service for the wife's entire well-being. So this command here to love your wife and not be harsh with her, this is a huge deal. It is a God-sized deal. And so, men, as we hear this today, we need to be thinking, holy goodness, there's no way that I can do that apart from Jesus doing it through me. But let me give you some wonderful news. Jesus wants to do it through you. And he has given his word, which is being illuminated to us now by his spirit. And that same spirit is going to empower us to walk in the light of this passage. To put off the old clothes of harsh leadership and domineeringness and so on and so forth. And put on the new clothes that are ours in Christ. And what Paul says here is, is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And I actually think Ephesians, which Paul also wrote, obviously, he fleshes this out a little bit further. So I want to spend just a little bit of time walking around in Ephesians 5 because I think it makes Colossians 3 very concrete. Listen to this. <coughs> he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
So the love that is being called for here in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, it is not the same as the love that Jesus has, but it is similar because we're not Jesus. But the things that he is exhorting us to here clearly put us in a place where he is saying, listen, this is what I want you to do, and Jesus is going to help you do it. Love your wife like this. And fellows, I'm telling you again, if we do this, Ephesians 5, 25 to 30, then 18, non-issue in most of our homes. So what kind of love specifically is he saying here? Let me, let me give you just a few words that we can grab onto here. First of all, it is a sacrificial love. Good question you can ask yourselves here. Is do you love your wife in a way that costs you something? And we're not just talking about money here. Can include money. But we're talking about time. And we're talking about humility. And we're talking about being willing to listen when we're super tired. Or being willing to take a baby when we would rather take a trip or being willing to do whatever it is that gets filled in in that blank, there's to be a sense of sacrifice within the love that we have for our spouses. Now, do we get that right every time? Absolutely not. And so built into this dance of marriage is this constant need for grace with one another, which goes both ways, and forgiveness that goes both ways. But it starts with this sacrificial love. Now, beyond that, what else is? <coughs> it's a sanctifying love. It says here that, that he might sanctify her wholly and without blemish. So I think the question that we could ask ourselves here is, is my wife becoming more like Jesus because of our marriage together? That's a heavy question. But the hope is, yes, that she is going in that direction because of our union together. Another thing, how does that happen? By using the Scriptures appropriately. By being a part of a faithful church that teaches the Bible. By being in community with other people that love and believe the Bible and want the best for your marriage and want to encourage and help and equip and all those things. And so the question there becomes is, are we in the Word, together. Now, I don't simply mean, are you sitting down and studying the Bible together, though that's awesome, but are the Scriptures a part of your conversation? And this is the thing for, for Christian families. Like, our church, listen, we love and believe the Bible, and we're going in the right direction in this way, but life is so complex and so hard that it is very easy for what they would call in the business world the tyranny of the urgent to simply take over your marriage. That so much of the talk time can simply become who's doing this at what time and who's picking up who and how are we going to get this guy and this guy and this guy and this one's got this and this. And it sucks out a lot of what could be word discussion time. Every one of us in this room feels this way at times. And so my encouragement is not to say, shame on you, husbands, we got to do better. That's not going to help you anyway. But it's to say, this passage gives us a gracious, 
wonderful opportunity to take a step back and take a look at our leadership from a sacrificial and sanctifying sense and say, where might the Lord be wanting to help us do better? Where might I need to go to my wife and say, hey, listen, totally been dropping the ball in this area. Want to do better. Can we work on this together? What would help us do this? And I put that in there on purpose to talk to her about it because here's what I've seen. I pastored a church in Louisville. Uh, it was full of seminary students, right? And so some people would hear this and they would say, that's right. That's right. John Owen tonight at, Christmas, at, at dinner and Jonathan Edwards devotional tomorrow at breakfast. And these guys would come in with these super heavy books and they would dump them and their wife was like, you know, patting a baby that just spit up on the floor and just like, now is not the time for John Owen and Jonathan Edwards, dude, okay? So you need to involve your wife in figuring out what makes sense for you guys doing this word discussion together. And it's going to be different for every family. And it's going to be different in different seasons of your life. But again, the point that I'm trying to gently lead us toward is sacrifice and sanctifying love through the word. But that's not all. Look at the next one. It should be a sensitive and nourishing and cherishing love. Look back in the text there in Ephesians 5. That they should love the wife as, as their own bodies. The way to think about that is that you're expanding the circle of care. And what I mean by that is most guys, most, okay, a few exceptions out there, but they do look in the mirror before they leave, and they do say, okay, do I look reasonably appropriate to go out in public? They, they think about themselves. They take showers from time to time. Maybe, maybe they should take more. But the whole thing there is they are sensitive to their needs, and he's saying here, you need to be sensitive to the needs of your wife. Don't just think about you, dude. Think about her also. How can I help her? How can I encourage her? How can I care for her even better than the way I care for myself? And this word nourishing here, it's, it's an interesting word. And I think one way to, to think about this is, do you care for your wife generally or specifically? Is it just like all women everywhere love this? I saw this on a blog. Here is your present, sweetheart. Enjoy it. Or is it like, no, I thought about what she might like and how I can specifically care for her, and this is what I did. There's a specificity there that comes from this nourishing love. And then finally, cherishing. One question that, that was invested in me that has stuck with me for a long time, is do your wife, does your wife feel more like fine china or like a dog bowl? Both will carry food and water, but one is precious. And fellas, we need to do what we can under the power of the Holy Spirit flowing from a robust sense of who we are in Christ to make our wives feel much more like fine china and not dog bowls. Now, if you're like me, this is super convicting. Every one of these, it was like, man, I don't want to give that sermon today. Goodness. But God wanted me to give it. And so I stand here 
like you in the same need of grace from God, from Laurieann, and want to grow in this area like all of us do. But see, that's part of what God is doing with the dance of marriage. He uses marriage in a way to shape us and change us to be more like Jesus in a unique way. It's almost like he did it on purpose. Hey, I'm going to take these two people. I'm going to put them together. They're going to see all of each other's flaws, but they're still going to love each other somehow. And they're going to see this deep and abiding need with me or for me. And then in the midst of that, if they're really dancing well together, it's going to help them reach their ultimate spiritual destiny, which is to become like Christ. God has a plan and a purpose for marriage, and that's why Paul is addressing it here. The fullness of the first few chapters are to emerge in the home, and as they do, it becomes a lighthouse to the watching world to say, listen, there's something different going on in Christian marriages. It's not perfect, it's a heck of a mess, but there's hope here. And there's forgiveness here, and there's redemption here, and it is a picture of Christ and the church. So in the midst of the heaviness of what we feel here, there should also be a real sense of lightness. That this is so impossible that God has to show up. That marriage is an opportunity for us as Christians to see what only God can do. And He's willing to do it. And He's able to do it. And He will do it if we will yield to Him and we will lean on His grace. So husbands, let's talk practically. How do we do this? Some of it I sprinkled in already, but, but let me also say this. One of the key elements of this isn't just getting your wife the right present. It's you growing in your own relationship with God. And here's what I mean. It's what they would call in the business world a a keystone habit. One habit that is disproportionately affectatious in helping you move the ball down the field in your life. And if you are growing in your own personal relationship with Jesus, it's going to give you wisdom and insight and greater sensitivity to see what's going on in a passage like this. If you are going back to the well on a regular basis to ask Jesus for grace to help you in all of your life, you're going to go, man, I am dropping the ball over here as a husband. You're also going to be much more willing to listen when your wife comes and says, hey, We've not spent any quality time together in X number of weeks or whatever. And instead of making a bunch of excuses, you go, wait a minute, you're right. What can we do to to, to remedy that immediately? So your relationship with God is the ultimate ocean that serves all the other tributary areas of your life. So may we never lose sight of that as well. Now, wives, let me give you a a few things that can help you help yourself. You want this kind of leadership in your home? Here's a few things that could help you help your husband. First thing, follow and encourage his leadership. If he's working, 
trying to create this environment where it makes it easy for you to follow, do the best you can to be leadable, okay? Making up a word there, leadable. And also, when you speak to him about where he is inevitably dropping the ball, try to speak from a tone of encouragement instead of constant complaining about what he's not doing. Because here's what a lot of women don't know about a lot of men. There's times when the guy is very, very aware, and he feels like he's failing in all these other areas, and then if there's another thing where it's like, here's 10 more ways that you're dropping the ball, there can be this depressing effect to the point where some men just go, I just can't do it, and it becomes this shutdown situation. Now, does that mean you don't go to him and tell him stuff? Absolutely not. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. What I'm talking about here is the tone. It's the attitude. It's the sense of we need to work on this, but we're in this together. Not the tone of you're a loser. You should be a better leader. Nobody likes that at work. Nobody likes that at home. So the tone for everyone should be, let's do what we can together as a team to make this dance as great as it can be. A couple other things. Um, pray for your husband as he leads. Fellows, I'm assuming you're praying for yourself, and I'm assuming that you're praying for your wife in, in what I said about focusing on your relationship with God. But wives, pray for that guy. Chances are he's trying. It's just not going awesome. So pray for him. Also, let me say this. I say this when kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm like joking, not joking about this. Don't underestimate his lack of intuitiveness, okay? Your husband's a good guy, but he's kind of a blockhead. So if you're like trying to hint toward things that you want to see changed, I'll just tell you prophetically, he doesn't get it, okay? You're going to have to help him. You're going to have to say, hey, I need us to do this. Can we do this together? And he'll probably be like, uh-huh, like a happy dog, and then they go on, right? But if you've been waiting for six to 12 months and been dropping hints and that kind of stuff, the, 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 the cavalry is not coming. He, he's not going to get it. So be clear with him in those things. Now, again, I'm, I'm joking, not joking, but you know what I'm talking about. Men, we, we, we're aloof many times, and we need help. So let me give one final piece of counsel here, and then I want to talk to us about how the Lord will help us here. I cannot underscore enough that this is a team effort. It's a team effort. Guys, if you walk out of here today and say, Dustin said, verse 18, wives submit. Well, you're not going to make it home, okay, number one. But number two, you didn't hear what the passage said. The fact that this comes as a couplet is really important. And again, if we lead in, in a 19-way, 18, probably not going to be an issue. But we got to see this together. We have commands given to us as individuals, but we are working this out together. And that gets us to Jesus. Because even though we have personal relationships with God, right? They are not private relationships with God. And the way he uses marriage is so unique and specific. And he wants to use marriage to help you become like Christ. He does. 
and it drives us to Christ. Look, look back at Ephesians 5. Well, let's just focus just 25 to 27 here just for a moment. And we looked at it from a marriage standpoint, but now let's look at it more from a Jesus standpoint. Look at what Jesus has done for his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. This is the Jesus who was under no obligation, who did not have to come and save us, and yet he stepped out of heaven and he added humanity to his divinity and he went from being praised to being maligned. He went from being worshipped to having war brought against him in every way that he could. They killed him for us. And then on top of that, the reason that he did that, verse 26, that's a purpose clause there, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that he might make us holy, that he went to the furthest extent that a human being could go in being killed for the purpose of us experiencing his fullness in the home. He became empty so that our homes might be full of love, so that our marriages might reflect his glory. And he did that, says here, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He uses the scripture now to prepare us, to fit us for heaven. He uses the gospel now to prepare us, to fit us for heaven. And the end game of that, verse 27, is to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So this passage that, that has some inherent heaviness ultimately needs to point us toward gospel hope. Because you know what Jesus is fully committed to? He is fully committed to making this passage a reality. We're a mess right now, but Jesus is cleaning us and cleansing us. And as a church, capital C, around the world, we're really a mess right now. But he is still preparing his church for that day when we will all stand before him perfect, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and holy and without blemish before him. And so that sense of future gospel hope should infuse the sense of sometimes abject hopelessness that we can feel in our marriages. That day needs to be pulled into this day. This holiness that we will one day have needs to be leveraged for practical holiness today. Friends, Jesus is for your marriage. He is for your sanctification. He is for you becoming like Christ, and He is fully committed to making that happen. So in the midst of the heaviness, let's feel the hope. Let's feel the encouragement. Let's feel that God will show us, if we ask Him, what only He can do in our homes. So let's go to Him now. Let's ask for just that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this time together in your word today.
There's a lot here. Both sides of the table. But Lord, we thank you that in the midst of that, there's even more in the banquet of the gospel. Lord, so I pray for appropriate conviction and you shining the light on some darkness this morning. But Lord, I pray for an even greater sense of grace that covers all those sins. I pray that there would be a sense of forgiveness for whatever is going on in the marriages that are represented today. And I pray, perhaps most of all, that there would be true and palpable gospel hope in those relationships. That even though it will never be perfect on this side of heaven, there can be progress. And Lord, may we be reminded and strengthened and helped as we look to our ultimate glory. And may that infuse today with life and light and a greater sense of love. We thank you for this time that we've had today in your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.